you know, I was paying 1800 for a cockroach filled apartment in the bowels of Brooklyn. And now I pay $600 a month for my mortgage and the nicest house I've ever lived in in my life. So yeah, I'm living the dream here in Cincinnati. Podcast Junkies, welcome back. I'm your host, Harry Duran. If you're a regular for the show and been listening all the way back to 2014, or you just recently found the show, welcome back. I love to roll out the carpet, the red carpet, the yellow carpet, whichever would be appropriate for this show. I really appreciate you taking the time and coming back to listen to the show. And we're kicking off the new year, 2023. And come April, it'll be nine years of the podcast, which is bananas to think about. This is a show where I search out interesting voices in podcasting and I get them to kick back their heels and talk about their shows or whatever else is on their mind. If you are new to the show, thank you so much for finding it, for discovering it. I'd love to hear how that happened. I always have emails open, harry at podcastjunkies.com. And I hope you find value from these episodes and keep coming back. I really appreciate you taking some time out of your busy, busy day and your busy, busy life to listen and share in these conversations. Last week, in case you missed it, I had a great conversation with Nick Loper. He's a longtime friend. He's host of the Side Hustle podcast, and he's been someone that's in my podcast circle for many, many, many years. It's surprising that it took this long to get him on the show. He did not disappoint. We had a fantastic conversation about the importance of starting business, family life, entrepreneurial life. We covered a wide range of topics, and I think uh, if you haven't listened to that, it's one of the, 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 the better episodes. They're all great. I love them all. It's like having to pick your favorite child. But I think uh, because of the nature of how long we've been doing it and how we came into the podcasting space around the same time, I think uh, it's really just an interesting story of both of our journeys. I think you'll like that one. This week, I speak to Diana Merriam. She's the founder of the EconoMe Conference and host of the Optimal Finance Daily Podcast, a show that offers tips and discussions on budgeting, early retirement, investing, and other money matters. In this episode, we have a really, really good discussion about FIRE, which is Financial Independence Retire Early Movement, and what goes into curating and hosting your own conference, the connection between stand-up comedy, voice acting, and podcasting, and a couple of other topics that are interesting. Diana was an attendee at the talk I gave at Podcast Movement in June of 2022. And because of the question that she asked, I said, hey, if you wanted to come on the show because you participated in this talk with me, I'd love to have you on. And I'm really happy that happened because she did not disappoint. We had a great conversation, a good back and forth. She's an incredibly smart entrepreneur and what she's doing with the fire movement, what she's done with her conferences is really, really fascinating and interesting. So I think you'll be taking a couple of notes based on this conversation. If you are enjoying this episode or past episodes, I'd love it if you leave a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash podcast chunkies. I'm long overdue to read some of those out on future episodes. If you're dabbling in the world of value for value and you're listening on an app that supports that, go to newpodcastapps.com to test some of those out. Fountain.fm is one of my favorites. They just released a new update. And again, looking forward to having conversations about what's happening in that space. They're making some really, really great improvements. The folks at podcastindex.org, really check those out if you're interested in some of those ways that you can support directly the creators that you know and love every day. All right, let's get into this conversation with Diana. But before we do, a few words from the folks that support this show. This episode is brought to you by Focusrite and specifically the Scarlett 2i2. 
sound card, one of my favorite go-to sound cards, something I use for each and every podcast recording. The 3G line is a go-to for all new podcasters. Find out more at podcastjunkies.com forward slash focus right, and the link will be in the show notes as well. Diana Merriam, host of Optimal Finance Daily and some other shows related to astrology or horoscopes, which we'll dive deeper into. Thank you for joining me on Podcast Junkies. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So as things tend to go when I, we, we jump on these conversations and podcasters talking to podcasters, we're talking about some sponsorship opportunities that have come up. And so we might dive into that a little bit later. So when I meet new podcasters at a conference and we start talking, I just have a tendency to like not ask a lot of questions. If I already know that I'm going to have them come on the show, because I'm just like, oh, I, I like discovering things in the moment on the show because I feel it's like I get excited and then my, my listeners get excited too because I'm just, I'm sharing like my enthusiasm for the things I'm finding in the world of, of podcasting. And it's, you know, I've been doing the show since 2014 and there's no shortage of like amazing stories of podcasters doing great things. And so um, we met at Podcast Movement, so, which seems like such a long time ago. <laughs> I know, it feels like forever ago. So much has happened since then. Yeah. So how was the conference for you? It was amazing. It was my second time going to podcast movement. The first time I made a couple friends and really the main reason why I went is to hang out with the producers of my shows. Okay. But this time I really got like very interested in the business side of podcasting, like the industry stuff. And I mean, I walked away with 10 pages of notes. I loved it. It was so great. Are you pretty uh, diligent when it comes to making the most of the sessions you are attending and taking notes and paying attention? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And actually my technique, and I did this in your session, I always try to ask a really good question. Yeah. Not only just to learn something, but it also becomes a calling card for people to come up to you afterwards and talk to you about whatever it is that you do. And so every session that I was in, I was like fighting for the microphone to ask a good question. And that led to a lot of great conversations afterwards. So yeah, absolutely. How were you in school? Were you always like an attentive student? Were you the one who would Yeah, I was obnoxious. <laughs> I was like the teacher's pet, like bringing an apple to class every day. Yeah, yeah. really annoying. <laughs> It was interesting. I just saw someone post about something Tim Parrish used to do when he was in college. He used to, if he would get like an A minus, he would schedule time with his professor and say, hey, can we talk about this? And he's like, I want to know like specifically what your thought process is, give me this grade and, and what I could do next time to do better. It had, you know, like multiple effects, I guess, because if you imagine a professor, he's like, he's not going to want to do this every single time he gives Tim an A minus, he's going to give him the A. <laughs> But he also learned at the same time. So it's funny that you can just kind of young Tim Ferriss's mind already working on like, how can I reverse engineer oh, yeah. like a better grade here? So what did you study in college? Marketing. Marketing. And my little trick was I just am like, I wouldn't say that it's due to any effort of my own, but I was a straight A student. I went to school on a full academic scholarship and I graduated with a 4.0. Like I've never gotten to be in my life, but I just like genetically, you know, some people are like really tall. So they're good at basketball. Like I just have a very, I have a test taking brain. And so what I used to do in college is I hated when attendance was a part of the grade. <laughs> yeah. Like if it was a class that I really liked, fine. But most tests are based on the book. 
and most professors don't teach from the book. So I knew if I just studied the book, I'd be able to pass the test. So I usually would go in and say, hey, if I get an A on the first test, can you not count my attendance? That was usually my deal. Wow, that's good. And uh, it worked like 80% of the time. Yeah. Yeah. How much of what you learned from a marketing perspective in college were you able to use in like day to day now? Zero percent. <laughs> Zero. Yeah. I didn't learn anything in college. I really didn't. Like, I yeah. think it was a joke. It's so interesting, this wave of people that are just like uh, talking about, you know, in social media, whatever, about this idea of like, is college even necessary? And, you know, myself, if I think about even just my nine to five, I was on corporate for 20 plus years. And some of this, I don't even know if some of the stuff is applicable, but I definitely know that once I left corporate America, like I had to like relearn like almost everything, like digital marketing and, you know, just like all this stuff that, you know, that no one teaches you like how to be an entrepreneur. Right. <laughs> how to think, in, you know, independently and writing all these skills that you need like if you're going to succeed in, in this world and not just be happy with and content with like a nine to five job and absolutely and it's it's been interesting and i'm curious if you think about this i don't know if you have kids or, or you're you're thinking about it how to think about that in this new day and age about what guidance to give kids about going to college yeah i have a stepson who's turning 10 and we are trying to teach him about entrepreneurship and just like a sense of independence and like wanting to do something for himself. Like like we're trying to really teach him about work ethic and just being independent because there's a lot of benefit to that. I see a lot of learned helplessness in young people today that we're trying to drill out of him. <laughs> What's interesting is I saw it in the podcasting space a bit now and I see it more on some of the other, like, like I've been more, I've been doubling down on Twitter recently just to kind of hone my writing and just trying to post three times a day doing essentially I'm taking like a long form post as a blog and then using it as the basis to break down the ideas in that post over the course of the week and then it just it's just a, a helpful thing for me to just to do and practice I feel like writing is the basis of you know a lot of things that we do as an entrepreneur whether it's copywriting whether it's writing scripts for your podcast whether it's you you could read out what you write as a YouTube video <laughs> you know I could I could read out tweets and have them be TikTok videos and so it's interesting like just kind of rethinking that whole concept I remember when I was in grade school, they have they would give us twenty words to write sentences about, and I would I looked at the twenty. I was like, oh, maybe I could write a story about all twenty. <laughs> so it's it's something that I was always passionate of mine that I just kind of put on the back shelf. But it's it's fun to revisit. How did uh, your entrepreneurial journey start? Once you left school with uh, zero marketing skills. Yeah. So I built a corporate career in brand extension and licensing which is an ingenious business model and a lot of stuff that you buy or license products and you might not know it. So for example, Welch's fruit snacks, it's a $400 million business, the best selling fruit snack. Welch's doesn't make that. So there's a licensee named promotion in motion and they develop the product, they market it, they sell it, they distribute it. They literally do all of the work and take on all the risk. And then they pay a royalty back to the brand owner. And so I built my career sitting in the middle coming up with those brand extension strategies and then going finding the deals and then managing the businesses day to day. So there was a little bit of like creativity in that, you know, like we would just sit around a table and be like, what could we put this brand on? We should do jelly belly jelly donuts, which is actually something that I worked on and learned a ton about the industry of jelly donuts and like why we couldn't mass produce and distribute <laughs> jelly donuts. So that didn't come to be, but something that I worked on. So 
Yeah, I think that for me, it really started in discovering the FIRE movement, which stands for Financial Independence Retire Early. Okay. That's something that I discovered back in 2015. And at the time, I was 30 grand in debt for no reason other than being financially illiterate and living beyond my means in New York City. And I discovered this movement and it was like a refreshing punch in the face. I ended up getting out of 30 grand of debt in 11 months and then saving and investing about 60% of my income from there. And so finding like getting my finances in order and finding financial bandwidth set me on the path to be able to retire early by 40 years old. And I started asking myself with this question, like what would I do with my time if I didn't have to worry about making money? And I decided I wanted to create this party about money. And so that's the economy conference, which is my business that I own. But it never started as like traditional entrepreneurs are like obviously out there trying to make a livelihood for themselves, right? Like this was just more of a passion project. But what ended up happening is that I did retire early from my corporate career. And now I make my income eight hours a week podcasting two daily shows so I'm able to cover all of my expenses on eight hours a week. And then I have an abundance of time and energy to invest in entrepreneurial pursuits, which is economy and some other derivative work from there. So yeah, that's kind of how I got into it. Started as a passion project, moving towards potential income in the future. But I still to this day have not made any money off of the economy conference. I'm curious when, you know, how things started coming together for you in terms of the podcast, if that was something you were just following, you were listening to podcasts, or you were just uh, starting connected to people in the space? Yeah, well, I certainly did a lot of podcast interviews in promoting my conference. Okay. And I had been told multiple times, like, you should start a podcast as like a way to promote your business. And that just seemed like a whole lot of work, as you know. And so this job with Optimal Finance Daily kind of fell into my lap. Like people always ask me, how do I do what you did? And I'm like, honestly, I don't know if this is repeatable. It's still a fun story, but I don't know if this is repeatable. So basically what happened was I'm a part of this community called FinCon. It's another conference yeah, yeah, for I've financial it, media. Yeah. yeah. And so there's a Facebook group and I was like doom scrolling one night because I couldn't fall asleep. It was like 1130 at night. And I see this post in the FinCon group from the producers of Optimal Finance Daily. Now, at the time, the show had been around for, I don't know, five, six years. And they just were paying a voice actor to read blogs from personal finance bloggers every single day in 10 minutes or less. So they had this voice actor for like five years. And they what they wanted was a new host of the show that could add some commentary to the end. So someone who knew about personal finance who could add about 300 words of commentary to the end of each episode. Okay. And so... I read this post and it was like everything in my body was like, that is your job. That is your job. That is your job. And so I spent about two hours writing like the perfect pitch email applying for this job. And it just so happened that I had a recording of me reading an article from like three months earlier. There's another show called The Stacking Benjamin Show. I don't know if you're yeah, familiar. Yeah. yeah. So they have this segment where they'll like discuss articles and they had, Joe had just asked me to like read one one time. And I don't even think he ever used this recording because it was too long, but I had recorded it for him and I sent it to him. So I still had that audio file. And so I took that, I attached it to this email applying for the job. And then everyone that I was friends with in the FinCon community, I asked them to respond to that post in the group and mention me. So it turns out that like a ton of people applied for this job. And I hear back from the producers and they asked me to audition. 
And of course, they asked me to read an article from my favorite blogger. So it was like so cool to be able to audition for this. And so I read the article and I got the job. They said that I, they, ha- they got a ton of applications and they said it was like no question that I was the one. Oh, wow. And honestly, I like I had asked them, like, how do I invest more in being an, a voice actor? Like, should I take classes? Should I? Yeah. And they honestly, I, I have a, a history in stand up comedy. Oh, cool. And so I think that, like, the kind of musicality of things and intonation and pauses and, you know, it just kind of comes naturally to me in reading something and trying not to make it sound like monotone and a little bit more interesting to listen to. And it aligns perfectly with my conference because, you know, I look at myself as I'm not a content creator. I mean, I've kind of evolved since then, but at the time I wasn't really looking at myself as a content creator. I was looking at myself as highlighting other content creators and giving them a literal stage to share their message. And so this was very complimentary because we're highlighting personal finance bloggers. I also saw it as a good synergy because I thought that I would be able to promote my conference to the audience because it's a huge audience. My show gets half a million downloads per week and we're a part of a network that gets 11 million downloads per month. So we're like the largest independent podcast network. And so that actually didn't pan out. The audience that listens to my podcast is fairly elementary looking for personal finance knowledge. If you're coming to my conference, you're a little bit more advanced. So there's actually very little overlap in the audience. However, by taking this job, it's still complimentary because when I'm courting someone to be a speaker, I can read, I'll offer to read their content on the show and get them in front of a really big audience. Also with sponsors, I can bake ads into my sponsorship packages for the event. So there's still like a lot of really good reason for me to do the podcast, even though there's not a direct translation on ticket sales for my conference. The As a podcast host, sometimes there's so many threads that I'm like, okay, which one do I want to pull here? <laughs> and I try to keep like mental filing of like, which ones, where's home for you? I'm in Cincinnati. You're in Cincinnati. And that's right. And, but you mentioned New York City. How long were you there? What part of town did you live in? I mean, I grew up in New Jersey and I lived in New York City like my whole 20s, basically, for about a decade. Cool. Yeah. I grew up in Yonkers. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, and then I lived in Upper East Side, East Village, Williamsburg, <laughs> Greenpoint. So, yeah, that's, I consider that like my home, home, like where my heart is, because I just love the energy of it. So, I live in Minneapolis now. So, the energy's, a bit different <laughs> so and i don't know how it is in cincinnati but just as an, an east coaster like and then i lived in la for four years because i was married at the time so just always been a big city so it's been an interesting change to be in a, a smaller city i don't know what, what that was like for you it was amazing I think that Cincinnati has everything you'd want out of a big city with none of the downsides. And when you think about cost of living for someone that is financially conscious, you know, I was paying 1800 for a cockroach filled apartment in the bowels of Brooklyn. (laughs) And now I pay $600 a month for my mortgage and the nicest house I've ever lived in in my life. So yeah, I'm living the dream here in Cincinnati. People can knock it all they want, but I mean, I go long distance hiking every weekend. Like I just, to me, it's the best, absolute best. Very cool. There's a decent podcasting community there. I know uh, Dave Jackson lives, I don't know if he lives in, in Ohio, but I don't know if you've heard of him, School of Podcasting. He's been podcasting for like 12, 14 years. But do you go to any local podcast meetups? No, 
No, I mean, podcast movement. I'm going to PodFest in January. That's in Orlando. But no, I don't know that much of a podcast community here in Cincinnati. I'm much more tuned into the FIRE community here. Yeah. PodFest is great. It's very different energy from podcast movement. And I, I love them both for different reasons. But I think definitely there's more intimate vibe with uh, PodFest. And Chris Kermitzos does a great job of bringing people together. And, and a loyal group of people that come back. A lot of folks from Florida come there. So I don't know if you've ever been before, but it's it's fun. I haven't, but I met Chris last year at Podcast Movement and he's been mentoring me on my event. So he's actually on my website as an awesomeness advisor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, talk about someone who's got experience with events. I mean, oh yeah, he's, he's, he's amazing. really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and he's, he's so me giving such good too. advice. Yes. He's so, yeah, he's so giving. So what made you decide to, to wanna do a conference? So there's another event that I had gone to because this the most popular blogger in the fire movement, his name is Mr. Money Mustache, which sounds crazy. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but that guy changed my life. I mean, that's the blog that like changed everything for me. And so he spoke at an event called World Domination Summit back in <laughs> 2016. Yeah, it sounds yeah. crazy. Like who produces that pinky in the brain? Like, what is this about? <laughs> so anyway, I saw he, he wrote a blog post about speaking at this event. And I was like, what is this? So I went for the first time in 2017. Okay. And what really was pivotal for me about World Domination Summit is you're surrounded by all these like expansive minded people. And I remember leaving there just feeling like my life was so full of possibility, almost through osmosis, because I was surrounded by people doing all this like really cool stuff. And so I really wanted to create something that would create that feeling for people, but specifically about money. Because money is an incredible tool that you can use to like build the life of your dreams. But we have all this societal conditioning around like buying stuff that we don't need and trying to impress people that we don't like, that we end up misusing this like incredibly valuable resource or taking it for granted. And so, yeah, that was kind of really what inspired me to create economy. I also feel that there will there is nothing that could ever replace in-person connection. You know, there's a ton of online communities when it comes to the fire movement, but I have never been able to get my social needs met from social media. And so I'm all about conversations and meeting in person. And so an in-person event was very important to me. I'll, I film everything. Like I've got four camera angles. The biggest expense for the event is the sound engineers and the lighting designers. So I have beautiful videography that I put up for free on my YouTube channel for anyone that's really interested in the content, the speeches on the main stage. But really you buy a ticket for the community because this community has the smartest, most generous, most creative creative people you'll ever meet and but you got to be in the room with them to get that benefit yeah 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 i've noticed it as well and there's one of the the highlights for me to go every year to the podcast conferences now with the, the show that i spoke about podcast moon vertical farming i went to two vertical farming conferences and then as we were discussing before we started recording my sponsors flying me out to dubai <laughs> so it's just like these experiences the guy that i mentioned dave jackson he's got this phrase called because of my podcast like just kind of like opportunities that would not have come had it not been for like having this vehicle that allows you to communicate with other folks or just be in the room with other entrepreneurs or people, like you said, who are bold enough to call their, their event the World Domination Summit. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's, it's, it's interesting 
One of the first quotes, as I started kind of like doing a lot of reading on inspirational stuff, as I was leaving my job, was Jim Rohn. And, he's, you know, this idea of you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And, you know, that's one that just kept resonating with you, kept resonating with me. And I've heard variations of it, like, you know, like, uh, look at the health of your five closest friends. That's about where you are health wise. <laughs> and I'm sure with finances, too, like, you know, I'm sure in terms of like, that applies a lot. So. How have you you grown in terms of like your your ability to to you know be more social, be more entrepreneurial, take more chances as a result of attending these events and meeting mm. these folks? Yeah, I mean, I think I get a lot of inspiration, ideas, community through going to events, yeah. but my ability to actually produce one and take on that financial risk is solely due to my 60% savings rate. I mean, I took a 40 grand loss on my first event, which for most people is a pretty, you know, big chunk of change. But, you know, I was, that would have been the money that I put in my after-tax brokerage that year, right? I was like saving so much money. I was fully funding my retirement vehicles at 29 grand a year and then putting an additional 40 grand a year into an after-tax brokerage. So my ability to take a big entrepreneurial risk was really due to my financial literacy and high savings rate. I know people that are like, I believe in my dreams so much, I'm gonna drain my 401k, or I'm gonna take on all this debt, or I'm gonna go find investors. And like to be able to self-fund my own business and be able to fully own all of my mistakes and not have to worry about pissing off an investor or have to worry about paying back any kind of loan, I think has really enabled me to build my business the way that I want to. You know, I truly believe in slow, organic growth. And, you know, when I think about my first event, it was on March 7th of 2020, one week before everything shut down. And I had been working up for 20 months on this event. And so that was like, very much dodging a bullet. We had 250 people at the first event. No one got sick that I know of. The second event was in November of 2021, and we had over 400 people. But if you look at all of my sales data, and I'm over halfway sold out for my next event, which is five months away, half of half of my attendees hear about it through word of mouth. And 20% of all of my attendees hear about it because they talk to me personally and I convinced them to come and they most likely met me at another event. I've gone on 12 trips this year, most of them to conferences and events. So I just, I feel like there's, it's, there's something very powerful again about in person connection. That's how you truly form deep relationships. And as much as, yeah, I'm online and I'm on social media, but I don't really, I mean, if you look at my social following, it's barely existent, which the rules of digital marketing and conversion rates, you would think that no one's coming to my event based on the numbers that Mm -hmm. you see. But it just goes to show like, if you're not selling a course or a digital product, the rules of digital marketing might not apply to you. I mean, I had 250 people at my first event and my mailing list had 400 people on it which doesn't really make a whole lot of sense when you think about conversion and all that kind of stuff. But I think the kind of person that would walk outside their door, get on a plane and actually go meet people in person is a unicorn. And they're not necessarily engaging with your social media content. Do you consider yourself an extrovert? Oh, yeah. I'm like the most extroverted person I know. Now, you mentioned that your strategy for when you go to conferences about, you know, being the first person oh, to yeah. like speak up. It's funny because I, I was, I'm the same way. Like I, it's that mindset of like, if I'm here, if I'm investing my time to be at this conference 
and I'm trying to get visibility for my show, I would similarly like sit next to where they would put the, they would always put a microphone like in the aisle. Mm-hmm. Like, and they're like, this is for when questions are going to be ready. And so again, it's not for me, I think I have to kind of force myself into that situation. I think I'm situationally extroverted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then when I come back home, I'm just back into like introvert mode. But there I'm just like, okay, I have to like get out of my comfort zone. So I would sit next to the microphone. And as soon as Q&A started, I'd probably be like the first or second person up there. And a lot of times I'd be walking to the mic and still not know what I was going to ask. <laughs> yeah. So, but I'm just like, hey, it's Harry, host of Podcast Junkies, you know, and just kind of pushing the show like in the early days of the show. And then I'd eventually like ask a question. But I think it's almost like the idea of like in school, like you sit in the front, so yeah. that you're forcing yourself to like pay attention. You're forcing yourself to, you know, like you said, these trips are an investment, you know, and, and they're not cheap when you factor in all the, totally. all the costs. And so you have to make the most of it. Yeah. My other technique is I like to walk because I'm usually by myself, right? So I like to walk up to someone else that's standing alone. And people love that because everyone feels awkward when they're by themselves. And so my usual line is I'll walk up to them and I'll say, hey, I couldn't help but notice you're by yourself. I'm also by myself. I feel like we already have so much in common. (laughs) And that usually like makes them giggle a little bit. And then we start talking like I did this at podcast movement to this guy who was standing there and it turns out he's like a sound engineer from Dolby and we figured out I don't even know how we got to talking that we both figured out that we lived in Brooklyn at one point and we were talking about the neighborhoods we lived in and it turns out that we used to 10 years ago we lived around the block from each other oh my god that's like I don't know how we even put piece that together but that was a fascinating conversation and I admitted to him that he was asking me what kind of mic I use which is like yeah yeah. I'm like I don't know not this one but my (laughs) podcasting mic is like in my closet it's a road whatever I don't know what it is the producer sent it to me but I told him how I just made a stupid mistake in that I was using my mic for something else and when I plugged it back in you know that dot that's on the front that tells you this is the front of the mic I wasn't paying attention and I had turned it around accidentally so I had recorded about four hours of work with the mic turned the wrong way and I had to do the whole (laughs) thing over so he says to me he's like wait you don't use headphones when you record and I was like you know not when I'm by myself because my my show's a solo show so I was like no And he was like, well, if you were wearing headphones, you would have caught that mistake. And so now I've been wearing headphones and I got that tip from him. So anyway, that just is a little story to demonstrate that like just a great technique is to walk up to someone who's standing by themselves because you never know who you're going to meet. And it it always seems like you're saving that person because they're like, oh, my God, I'm standing here awkwardly like someone come talk to me and I don't want to go do this. You know, like you be the brave one to walk up to them. It makes a huge difference. Yeah, I'm I'm conscious of that myself because my first podcast i mean my first uh, conference in this space was new media expo in 2014 and it was in las vegas and it's where i went to learn how to podcast it was podcasting blogging and youtube at the time and i remember like i remember being on the shuttle bus it was like six or seven hours from the airport to the hotel and i was like i don't know anyone on this bus i don't know anything, anyone at this conference <laughs> and i think i had uh i knew a couple of friends maybe from online that i eventually connected with but i think having that almost like that mindset of continuing to remember what it's like. And sometimes people just need a little nudge outside of their comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And it's just a reflection of like how safe they feel in public spaces or the fact that they're just introverted and it's hard for them to socialize. But that doesn't take away from like the value you can get from just initiating a conversation with them. 
Totally. Well, and after COVID and the amount of isolation that we've all had, like as much as I'm super extroverted, my first couple of events that I went to, I had a little social anxiety, right? It's yeah, like we're yeah. all a little out of practice. So yeah. having some like compassion for yourself and other people, I think goes a long way. Yeah. And just kind of seeing where everyone was at. And like, I think the first podcast movement they did in Nashville and you know they would have buttons about like Mm -hmm. how close you want people to you are you a hugger (laughs) like just a fist bumper elbow like all this sort of stuff and these weird dynamics I had engagement it's 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 like you said like having to relearn Mm -hmm. like engagement because I'm like naturally gregarious and for my friends I'll just give them a big hug every time I see them (laughs) and there's some of my friends that are clearly not huggers and definitely not now (laughs) yeah or for the the short terms it's fun to like oh it's it's interesting to kind of see those dynamics in play is that something you think about with your conference in terms mm. of like making it, you know, having that experience of being alone in a conference or, or meeting people who are by themselves? Do you think about that? Do you oh, yeah. like? I am a big stickler for attendee experience down yeah. to like every little detail, how comfortable the chairs are, flow of traffic. You know, the campus is, I do it at the University of Cincinnati and the campus is really confusing. So okay. I printed out 500 like these footsteps that have my logo on it that will help you navigate campus like just follow the yellow brick road to the building and my fiance lovingly places them around like spends hours placing these footprints around the campus so yeah i'm a big stickler for attendee experience and one of the things that i'm actually doing to kick off the event we have a ton of social elements of the event Mm -hmm. because uh like i'm actually just changed my tagline to phi meaning financial independence phi is better with friends the whole point of the event is like what's the point of retiring early if you don't have anyone to hang out with you know and so you got to meet other people who are doing this and so we do like a three-hour walking tour of the city to highlight the city of cincinnati as i believe it's the best city to pursue financial independence because the cost of living is so low but you get all these benefits of being in a major city so we do a three-hour walking tour we have a brewery tour because Cincinnati is known for breweries we have a live recording of the Stacking Benjamin show we did last year I think we'll redo that we've done movie screenings we're actually a new part of the programming this year I'm going to kick off Friday night with something I'm calling speed friendshipping not speed networking speed friendshipping last year we did speed dating and that went very well we actually had three relationships come out of that maybe one day we'll have an economy wedding because I'm like determined to help someone find their spouse at my event. But if love is going to be there, then it doesn't need to be specifically, you know, speed dating. So we're going to do speed networking. And I think it's a great way to kick off the event. I have a lot of ideas on how I'm going to do it with like a bar and music and like it's going to be real party vibes. Um, But that I think will help get people who are by themselves to at least meet, you know, five to 10 people that evening that they can continue to go up to like the rest of the event. I've also the first event, which I didn't do this because my dog is getting older, but my dog's name is Buddy. And so I did a whole I had him at the first event with me and it was a whole find your buddy campaign. And so people that were feeling lonely or were having trouble like going up and talking to people could go over to my dog and everybody loves dogs, you know? And so have a moment with my dog and you're going to meet other people in just like going to say hi to buddy. He'll help you find a buddy. So yeah, I think of a lot of like ideas of, 
Because to me, yes, the main stage speakers are amazing. And like, it's a performance. I mean, we work for months on their content and it's like a TED talk. I mean, it's, yeah. it's a lot of work that goes onto those main stage presentations. But there's also so much knowledge and amazing people in the room. And so I want to make sure I'm like getting people talking to each other. Even our breakout sessions, they are not formal presentations. They are conversations that are facilitated by an expert. And so the whole point of a breakout session is to get the attendees talking to each other. Even my opening presentation last year was all about how do you make friends at this event? And I walked people through a process of making the most out of the weekend. So that's funny that you asked me this question because I am like, I think it's so incredibly important. And I've never been to an event where someone has encouraged me to approach it in that way. It's so smart because I think as conference organizers, you know, if you're not intentionally thinking about the experience that your attendees are going to have, and you're just thinking about it from a numbers perspective, or a lot of times all the focus is on the speakers and they want to make sure the speakers are treated great, which is really just as important. But without the attendees, you really don't have a conference. I mean, if you just focus on the speakers, you just have a mastermind. Totally. <laughs> so, and I think it takes a lot of work. I'm, I dabbled in a conference early on as one of my entrepreneurial ideas. I was going to start a productivity conference. Lost money as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Didn't get it off the ground and realized like how much heavy lifting is required to do stuff like that. But, you know, it's far and few in between when you see someone that does is intentional about building that community. And Chris does a great job. It gets harder and harder as, as it gets bigger. But I remember those early years, he'd have gratitude day where everyone who attended would come up for 30 seconds, grab the mic and be like, one thing you were grateful for about the oh, conference over the past couple of days. So that's really nice. What's current attendance at for your conference? I'm over halfway sold out. My max capacity is 560. Okay. Yeah. And I won't get bigger than that. So yeah. you, you mentioned like, I do think that you lose some magic when you let your event get too big. I mean, yeah. a lot of people said to me last year, like, oh, you're going to have to find a bigger venue next time. And you're going to have to do this, that, and the other thing. You're going to get a thousand people, then 2000 people. And I was like, nope, 560 is my sweet yeah. spot. Yeah. And my goal is not to grow the event in terms of more attendees, I will know that I have reached the peak when all 560 tickets sell out in one minute. That is my metric of like, I have reached the the pinnacle of what I'm trying to build. And just to continue making the event the best event it can be for the attendees. I mean, like you said, a lot of event producers, and for good reason, right? You have to have a sustainable business. If you're losing money every year, then it's never going to go anywhere. I am just in a very privileged position that I don't have to make money for this. So I can like, I have time and patience to be able to build it the way I want to. But you know, when you don't focus on attendee experience, you get like that Woodstock from the nineties or like the fire festival, right? Like these events that just were absolutely awful for attendees because the organizers didn't focus on that aspect that all they cared about was the money. Right. Yeah. Who would you say the conference is for? So the conference is for, I would say, fire enthusiasts. If you don't know what the fire movement is, you might feel a little out of place. But if you look at like my demographics, about 70% of the audience are in what I would call the accumulation stage of fire. So they're debt free, they've got a fully funded emergency fund, they're, they've made good headway on their, you know, investing for traditional retirement. And they're kind of in the middle, right? When you first discover the fire, 
FIRE movement, it's like you're super excited. You start reducing all your expenses, increasing your income, coming up with your investment strategy. But about five, seven years in, you kind of get bored. And it takes anywhere from five to 20 years to reach financial independence. And so those kind of people come to economy to fuel the fire, right? That's about 70% of our audience is they're looking for that, that spark that they had in the beginning. And they're also looking for friends to hang out with because you can't talk to your friends and family about this. Like they're going to think you're (laughs) nuts. Right. And so that's about 70% of the audience. 20% of the audience are already financially independent and retired. And so they're there really sharing their knowledge and also looking for friends because they've been traveling the world and starting businesses and, and just doing in their thing and they're looking yeah, yeah. for for more community and then about 10 percent of our audience are just getting started cleaning up their finances i personally do not market to them because i feel yeah. like if you're in debt you shouldn't be spending money on coming to this conference but they're very you know a lot of them maybe they got a late start about 20 percent of our audience is also over 50 right okay. some of that overlaps with people who are already retired but you know, if you, I think those are probably the most enthusiastic people in the audience is if you're at 50 and you didn't start saving for retirement, you need the aggressiveness of the fire yeah. movement to ever retire. Right. Sense. And so it's really, if I don't think of it as learning about finances or financial literacy, there are plenty of other resources out, out there for that. This is really about community and inspiration when you have this audacious goal of reaching financial independence relatively young, or if you got a late start. And where do you send folks who are just interested in getting there with the with fire? I would send them to my podcast, Optimal Finance okay. Daily. Yeah, so that's a pretty elementary show, which is okay. why there's not a ton of overlap with the conference and my listeners. But it, it's interesting because about 80% of our listeners change over every six months, which for such a big show that's still growing, I think it's just a testament to the quality of the show. But I love to hear that people are graduating beyond me. And in the show, I am giving them resources like go listen to Stacking Benjamins or Choose Fi or Bigger Pockets Money or those other shows that are a little bit more advanced. But if you're just starting out cleaning up your finances, I would read a couple books like The Millionaire Next Door and The yeah. Simple Path to Wealth by J.L. Collins. I would listen to my podcast and I would read the Mr. Money Mustache blog. That's that's what you need to do if you're just starting out. And then once you get real gung-ho about it, come hang out with us at the Economy Conference. <laughs> awesome. I love the progression yes. and the as- aspirational steps that people can take, which is really awesome. How many episodes of the show have you produced? Well, I've been the host for over two years and it's a daily show. So I think I'm up to like 740 episodes or something like that. But that's the really interesting thing about like this unicorn job. I, it takes me about four hours a week because the show is this like well-oiled machine. So the producers of the show have been doing this for about 10 years. There's seven shows in the network that all follow this daily narration style where we're reading articles. And so they have a whole system, like we've got over 200 contributors to the show. And so these bloggers have to meet certain criteria and they give us permission to read their stuff. And I think it's maybe once a quarter or twice a year, they have scrubbers that will go through all the new content on the blogs and pull the articles that meet our format and criteria. So there's this like growing spreadsheet of articles to pull from. And then they plot out these articles mm. about three months in wow. advance. 
And then they have people that go in and I mean, these are all like freelancers that they hire out these kind of small production jobs, but go in and what we call scripting. So pulling the content from the blog, putting it in a word document for me and making slight alterations to it to make it more appropriate for audio. So if it says something like read below, it'd be like, listen on for more, right? Like making those like slight adjustments. And then they get the scripts ready for me. I go in, I take about 20 minutes to write my commentary. And then for that show, it takes me about 10 minutes to record. But literally my only job is to write commentary and record. I send back the audio files to the producers. They you know, do all of the editing. I have a dog clip clicker. So every time I make a mistake, I hit the dog clicker and that like lets them know where to go in and cut you know, my mistake out. And they have a like they go through teams of editors that have okay. different jobs to make it. It's like this well-oiled machine. And wow. that's, that but that's amazing. what enables them to do 365 episodes across seven shows. And it's two guys that own it. And then they have all of these freelancers. So I'm the host of two shows. And even for my second show, the horoscope show, they hired this astrologer out of Israel and she's got a team of writers and they write the scripts and that's actually, you're just reading that as well. I'm just reading that. And that has no prep for me. So when I go in, I'm going in cold. Like I was just recording episodes before this. I'm just reading the scripts cold and, and I have my dog clicker and all that. And that show, it takes me about a half an hour to record one day, but it's 12 episodes because each sign has its own show. Sure. So like, what's your sign? Libra. So you'd look up Libra Daily and okay. you'd see it's produced by Optimal Living Daily. And I read it to you in this kind of like sultry voice. It's like straight voice acting. <laughs> that's funny. And that's just, again, it's about half an hour recording for one day versus Optimal Finance Daily is about 10 minutes of recording for one day. Yeah. But that enables me to, to record two daily shows in about eight hours a week. Mm. Wow, that's great. Yeah, it's again, it's a unicorn job because I don't have to do anything except for recording. Yeah, the voice acting has always been interesting because people have always said I have a good voice for podcasting and for radio. And I kind of looked at it a couple of years ago, but I feel like it's it's whole industry and kind of like you have to do some research into finding like the best way to audition for it right. and all that sort of stuff. So it feels like it's a... And I asked, like, the guy who used to do Optimal Finance Daily is a true voice actor. And so I thought, oh, man, it seems like I'm good at this. I should invest more time into being a voice actor. So I had a call with him. And he said, this job, again, is a unicorn job because 90% of voice acting is auditioning and editing. I don't know how to edit. I don't know anything about that. Right. And so he's like, honestly, what you do now where 100% of your time is recording, you would never, yeah. that's not how it works in true, like if you wanted to be a voice acting professional. So I was like, okay, never mind. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> do you feel like you've gotten better? Has your style changed? Or I mean, I know it's a lot of it is focusing on the reading, but do, do you notice yeah. that you're better now than when you started? 100%. There's actually a skill set that comes from reading out loud. Like we all had to do it when we were kids in school, right? And like, I just remember being super nervous that I'm going to like mess up and I'm going to say this word wrong and what have you. But now after, you know, hundreds of episodes of just reading, it just comes a lot more naturally to me. Mm -hmm. I also find that I have more stamina then now than I do in the beginning. So I can record for four hours a day 
And like, you know, in the beginning, it would be like really straining my, you know, voice. And I still, usually when I start recording for the day, I'll drink a lot of tea and honey. And then I kind of switch to water halfway through just to kind of, you know, keep things from drying out. But yeah, I definitely have a lot more stamina now than I have in in the past. You mentioned uh, you studied comedy a little bit. So I wanted to just kind of ask you about where that started and, and if you're continuing any of that. Yeah. So stand up kind of started for me. I mean, I've always kind of been like class clown, loving to make people laugh, you know. And when I was in my corporate career, it's funny now that I do a lot more public speaking because I had this experience in my corporate career where I like bombed a presentation in front of our CEO and she like ripped me apart in front of like 70 people. It was horrific. I had like a panic attack up there and I didn't realize I was going to be so nervous because I'm usually pretty comfortable in front of people, but it was just getting, you know, public speaking is hard for a lot of us, right? If you haven't done it when you're up there, something happens to your body that you can't explain. Totally. And so that was pretty traumatizing for me. And after that happened, I was so determined to never let that happen again. So I had joined Toastmasters and I had been like really investing in public speaking and trying to get comfortable with it. The issue is like, for me, I don't have that kind of physical reaction when I'm not intimidated by the other people in the room. So Mm. with Toastmasters, for instance, like most people were more nervous than I was. And so they didn't properly intimidate me to like give me the opportunity to overcome it. And so that's why stand-up comedy, I mean, that's like throwing yourself into the lion's den. When you go to open mics, it is like so hard to figure out if no one's laughing because your joke is bad (laughs) or if it's because they're all just focused on what they're going to say when they get up there. Right. And so it's a lot of, it's really intimidating to go and like try to make people laugh. And by the way, like most open mics are just like super awkward. My first time on stage If it wasn't for this kind of mistake that happened, I probably never would have done it again. So basically this bar had advertised an open mic and I had prepared like all week my jokes and I was like super excited and hyping myself up for it. How many minutes worth of material? It was probably like three, four minutes, you know? And so I went to the bar. I was there like an hour early because I was so nervous and I wanted to like sign up for the open mic. So I tell the bartender like, hey, I'm here for the open mic. She's like, I'm so sorry. The website is wrong. It's actually a booked show. But the organizer is over there. Like, why don't you go talk to him and see if he'll just like let you on? And it happened to be like Labor Day weekend or something like that. And so he had a bunch of cancellations last minute. And so I ended up going up to him. And before I even knew he was the organizer, he had like stood next to me to get a drink and I had complimented his shirt. (laughs) So we had already and I didn't even know at the time I was just complimenting his shirt. So we had already had like a tiny exchange by the time I went up to him. And so my pitch to him was that I was reading from this journal from when I was 12 years old. It was like this Winnie the Pooh journal and I held it up and I was like, I'm going to read from this and it's going to be crazy. Like, don't, you know, don't you want to hear what I said when I was 12? And then I said something to him, like, if I'm famous one day, like you'll get to like, 
say that you were the one that gave me a shot. And he was like, well, I don't know about that, but I honestly like need someone because I had a bunch of cancellations. <laughs> so he was like, I'm just going to put you in the middle of the show oh and I'll God. give you five minutes. Oh, wow. So, I mean, the audience was totally warmed up. Yeah. Like I got up there and I got real laughs and it was a warm audience and it was it was awesome. It was like better than drugs, oh God, right? Course, yeah. So that was my first time on stage. Wow. If I would have went to a real open mic, which I have gone to a lot of them yeah. after that, I would have never done it again. Yeah. Yeah. Are you going to continue to do it? You know, the last time I was on stage was 2017. And honestly, okay. like, I think that it, I got what I wanted out of it, which was like to get over this fear of public speaking. Now yeah. I get to like exercise my comedy muscles on. I'm actually a character on the Stacking Benjamin show. I'm oh, Joe's funny. mom's cousin, <laughs> Joe's mom's cousin and neighbor Doug's ex-girlfriend. So I do their like I take neighbor Doug's spot about once a month. So I get oh, to like so flex my improv comedy muscles on that yeah. show as well as on the economy stage. You know, I get to exercise course, that yeah. skill set a little bit on the economy stage as the MC. So yeah. I feel like I scratched that itch. I got what I wanted out of it. I'm not going to be a serious comedian, yeah. but it definitely, it served its purpose for sure. It's a fantastic skill. I studied acting for like three years and a little bit of improv, but my partner's into, we're into comedy like a lot. We're just kind of actively like looking for shows. We're going to a show this Friday. And I think it's just a fascinating you know, skill and the ability to do that and the ability to do that consistently. We've just watched a lot of comedy specials lately, mm -hmm. discovered folks like Nate Bargatze and like Sebastian Maniscalco. He's so physical. <laughs> he's yeah, and he's like East Coaster. But it's a, when you see someone that can do it well consistently, especially like 45 minutes for an hour, you're mm -hmm. like, well, like that much material, that consistent, you know, especially the ones that are physical and when they do it well, it's really like a, a real skill, which is really admirable. Yeah, I remember that show, that first time I was on stage, the woman who went before me, it was like a light bulb went off in my head because she helped me understand the formula. Mm. And the way she told this joke where she said, she was talking about being an alcoholic. And yeah. she goes, you know that woman who's like at the party and she's hanging all over your boyfriend and she's like throwing up in the corner and she's just a mess. You know that woman? <laughs> she's the one that took me to rehab. She's never getting help, right? And so the the way she just like, you think she knew where she was going and yeah, then yeah, she yeah. took a hard left. That's like good. that is something that I incorporate into a lot of the stuff that I do. Very cool. Yeah. A couple of questions as we wrap up. This has been a lot of fun. <laughs> Thanks for sharing those experiences. What's something you've changed your mind about recently? Something I've changed my mind about recently. Sorry, you're putting me on the spot. <laughs> I mean, the first thing that came to mind was, and this is going to be boring for people that like aren't super into personal finance, but I had been like really prioritizing my tax advantaged accounts, like my traditional IRA, my 401k yeah. when I had one, like most of my money is kind of in those tax advantaged accounts. And I went, I was at a presentation recently at a Fi event and mm -hmm. this guy convinced me to like even out my buckets between my like after tax brokerage, my Roth and my traditional and when you have kind of more even three buckets, it just gives you more options. Because I don't know when I'm actually going to retire and like not have yeah. an income. And yeah. so it kind of changed my mind about that. That's helpful advice. Yeah. <laughs> What's the most misunderstood thing about you? I don't know. People think that I'm wholesome. 
Like, I guess I have a wholesome look to me. But like, if you actually listen to my stand up comedy, it's all like super raunchy, like being super promiscuous in New York City and like all the drugs and alcohol and sex that I had. Um, (laughs) And so, yeah, but for some reason, like my look, like people look at me and they just assume that I'm wholesome. And so when (laughs) I like I curse a lot, like actually more the more F-bombs you drop on the economy stage, the better. Like I encourage all the speakers to curse. And it's very shocking to people. That's so funny. Yeah, it's, it was a bit jarring for me as a New Yorker coming here. And like, I mean, I'm used to not making eye contact with people and not engaging <laughs> with like strangers. So it's just my partner has had to sort of acclimate me with like just asking people like, how you doing? How's your day going? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I just have thick skin. So I'm used to like people being like more aggressive than people, mm. I guess, are normally used to. So it's funny that you say that. So <laughs> thanks for sharing. So many interesting things that we learned about you today and I'm, I'm so happy like i always do this where i do this at the conference because i'm just like there's so many like the fact that you were outspoken i was like well i already knew this was going to be a great conversation <laughs> and i'm glad you followed form and like spoke up at my talk and i'm just happy to share like your unique experience with my audience because i think there's a lot of stuff that people can take away from it just kind of pushing yourself out of your comfort zone this importance of of like financial independence is something i think a lot of people don't think about and just like looking for opportunities that you found in the podcasting space that you know they say luck is when preparation meets Mm. opportunity right so i think it's you position yourself very well and i think this is gonna be a lot of takeaways for listeners so i appreciate you coming on and and sharing your story thanks so much where's the best place for folks to connect with you where do you want to send folks Yeah, well, you can listen to me every single day on the Optimal Finance Daily podcast. And then you can also join me at the Economy Conference. And Economy, kind of like my name, I like misspelled words. (laughs) So Economy is spelled with an M-E at the end rather than an M-Y. But you can go to economyconference.com and sign up for my newsletter there or buy a ticket. Okay. Well, Diana, thanks again for sharing your story and coming on. I really appreciate it. Thanks again to Diana for coming on the show and sharing her story. As always, full show notes available at podcastjunkies.com. Intro and outro music composed by Cedar and Soil, cedarsoil.com for his great list of music. Don't forget to check out our sponsor, Focusrite, and their new line of gear, specifically the Vocaster. You can learn more at podcastjunkies.com forward slash Vocaster. Podcast production and marketing provided by Fullcast. Learn more about how a podcast could be beneficial for you and your brand at fullcast.co. Tune in next week for my conversation with Melvin Varghese. We connected through Jeremy Ends and we were sharing some time talking about podcast marketing on one of Jeremy's webinars. And I met Melvin. Fantastic story. You're going to really learn a lot about how he built a successful course from his podcast audience. Really inspiring. And if you're looking to see a perfect example or hear a perfect example of how a podcast can become a viable business for you, you're not going to want to miss that episode. Glad to be back in the saddle for 2023. Thanks for all you do to support the show. Have a fantastic week.